with the 44th episode of The Week with Roger, a conversation between analysts about all things telecom, media, and technology from Recon Analytics. I'm Don Kellogg, and with me as always is Roger Entner. How you doing, Roger? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. So, Roger, recently you wrote an article for Fierce Wireless about how cloud infrastructure has made it easier for greenfield operators to get into wireless. The article was in response to AT&T outsourcing their 5G core cloud infrastructure at Microsoft. AT&T's done this with Microsoft, and Dish is doing something similar with AWS. Can you talk a little bit about Dish's plans in the virtualized network space? Well, Dish is is not only moving the cloud infrastructure for its core to AWS, but it's doing the same for the edge and the, the radio network on the edge. And that's taking it all, you know, completely different ballgame, right? Uh, because what this is doing is like the full disaggregated open RAN network with a radio remote head with an antenna, and then miles away, a CU and, and then a DU further out. And that is like taking the whole thing a, a step further. So that's the absolute minimum amount of custom or you know purpose-built equipment in the network, correct? Correct. It's like th- this is where where everybody wants to go right now. And that's the starting point for DISH. And DISH, unlike, for example, Rakuten, who has done this kind of thing, does it on AWS's cloud, whereas, for example, Rakuten does it on their own, own cloud infrastructure. So it's like even a bridge further out than, than what exists today. Using AWS, that works really well, urban areas, right, where, where you have the big Amazon data centers. Because one of the key critical functions here and problems here is latency. You can only have 20, 30 miles distance, if even that, between the radio head and, and, and the CU. And otherwise, the whole connectivity budget, the latency budget doesn't work anymore and the connection doesn't actually build. And so what that means is it works in big areas where Amazon has infrastructure right now. Might it be the data center? Might it be a wavelength, which is Amazon speak for a mobile edge computing uh, location or something what they called outposts, which is somebody else's little data center or, you know, that can be a 40-inch rack, basically. And Amazon runs their software over it, and it looks and feels like AWS Elastic Cloud. And so it makes it very, very interesting of how Amazon and Dish are pulling this off, right? Because... When you go out in rural America, you have these distances. So somebody needs to build these outposts for Dish and for Amazon. I don't know if Amazon will go out and build, you know, we did a back of the envelope calculation that it needs like, what, 20, 30,000 outposts? Somebody has to build that. And so I would imagine that Dish and Amazon are negotiating with people or trying to find people who will do that for them. 
this is like refrigerator size equipment racks, right? Similar to the size of a base station. It's just like you don't need then one of these enclosures at every cell site, but at a number of cell sites, as long as you're you're close enough together. Because if if Dish and Amazon are not doing that, they would have to go back and have a integrated approach like what Ericsson or Nokia or, or Samsung sells, where the software and the hardware is integrated. And that would be so inelegant and, and so against the vision, it's not even funny. So the answer is like almost inevitably, somebody will have to build these outposts. Somebody will have to build these wavelengths. Well, we know that's Amazon, but like in the boonies, I don't know if they want to build it. The promise of virtualization, though, is that it makes things easier. This doesn't. This doesn't sound like it's making things easier to have to build out thousands and thousands of these little data racks, right? Well, it makes it really, really easy once you have done this, because you have then a fully transparent cloud with one single pane of glass and and one control panel that all works together, right? if you just fix that that hardware lift. But I think it's also, a, a, once you do this, this becomes then a very powerful tool for Amazon, providing connectivity and providing compute power everywhere in a really low latency environment. And it's basically taking, you know, most people don't look at, at Facebook at certainly at as a leader in, in distributed computing, but they are, right? Where, you know, most company have like a dozen data centers. These guys have like three and a half thousand, right? They, they really took their computing to the edge in a much greater way that anybody gives them credit for. Right. And I think by comparison, for example, I think there are 26 AWS compute centers, right? So yes, that's a big difference in terms of distributing all of your compute power across all those different nodes as opposed to doing things in more centralized data centers. Exactly. And and so you have to give, you know, Facebook a lot of credit what, what they're doing. And, you know, we're, we're aware of quite a few other things that they're doing that are pretty cutting edge and we can't and they don't uh, talk about it. But they do really nifty stuff under the covers. So this takes it basically this direction and, and much further because it also then helps Amazon power that whole push that they have with Verizon because Amazon has an, has an agreement with, with Verizon to do edge computing as well. And so it's the same infrastructure and it doesn't matter if, if Dish runs on it or, or Verizon or whenever these guys sign an agreement with AT&T, right? They become like even more ubiquitous than anybody else. And, and, you know, the compute becomes one big distributed compute platform. And you can pick which company you will use to access it with, you know, whoever is your carrier of choice. It's a very fascinating strategy. But it also shifts a lot of the power away from, from the operators to the edge providers to the Amazons, because, you know, that's the direction Microsoft is going as well. 
in the ultimate, you know, move of uh, of irony, you know, you have the current administration now pushing Title II again, right when the whole network actually goes into the hand of of the Silicon Valley companies. It just shows you how little politicians understand of where the puck is going and where the puck already is. Their puck is still in 1934. Anyway. So this is obviously a big change from an infrastructure perspective in terms of, you know, where does the actual compute happen? Where does where the core sit? Who operates it? Who administers it, et cetera? What does the end state look like? Is this something everybody is going to be running, you know, on a you know distributed edge compute virtualized core at some point? Or is this something that, you know, you'll, you'll, you might see some carriers pursue and operators pursue? But other folks that, you know, for example, may have large legacy holdings in terms of legacy equipment networks might not. What what are your thoughts on that? Well, everything will be virtualized, the core and the edge and, and the radio access network. It will all be virtualized. The question is, who owns the equipment? Who is who is is actually owning the underlying hardware for this. And the funny thing is that becomes less and less relevant, right? And and the software becomes more and more important. And so a an operator which we always looked at at a hardware-centric operation is becoming extremely software-centric. And somebody like an Amazon or Microsoft that we looked at very software centric become actually very hardware centric, right? Because they will then operate the actual cloud infrastructure. And so it's a huge shift in focus and shift in what is their core competency. Right. And it also severely drops the barriers to entry. I mean, you still have to own or lease spectrum, right? But the equipment costs to get into, you know, something like being a mobile operator goes down dramatically. Exactly. You know, if, if you're looking at it, you know, with the cable guys, if I would be a cable guy, I would be, I would be running a virtualized wireless network. When you look at it, Comcast already is running a virtualized cable network. They have virtualized their core already. Nobody talks about it. Nobody gives gives Comcast credit for it. But these guys have have done a lot of really, really smart things. And then they they probably threw the key away and said, like, shut up. Don't talk about it. Because it's a key competitive advantage for them. Well, and we'll see examples of these, these networks pretty soon, right? Because DISH is launching uh, it's by the end of the year, right, according to their financial statements and, and statements to the press and such. Cable guy, you know, it should be probably next year or something like that, right? And AT and T is transitioning over to, to Azure for operators as well, right? Yeah, so. for three years, but that that's like the least visible and noticeable thing. The only way we notice that this has been shifted over from AT and T to Microsoft, if something goes horribly wrong, right? Other than that, this is completely transparent for for customers. 
Well, maybe we'll have to do a uh, a special uh, special report from Vegas uh, when Dish launches their network in Q4. How about that? How about that? And they're building also in in, in Florida, right? Yeah, Which are like the, the two easiest to cover areas because you know exactly where people start and where people end. In one place, there's a desert, right? And in the other place, there are oceans and swamps. And crocodiles or alligators don't use wireless phones yet. So you know exactly where, where you have to build. So they, they at least publicly have acknowledged we're, we're building out in the two easiest places, which is really, really smart, actually. Is there anything else we should be paying attention to in terms of virtualization right now? Well, you know, I, th- I think they, they're all going at different speeds and a different corporate culture. And AT&T has much more of a culture of uh, partnership, right, and, and outsourcing. A Verizon is much more, you know, we like to own and control this. So I would say, like, Verizon is probably the, the last to do this. But then you have a new leadership team. But I think that DNA is still pretty strong. Well, I mean, they're historically one of the, the most focused network organizations, though, too. So yeah. I think that, that's, that plays in their favor, right? Plays in their favor. Also, they want to control things. Because if somebody points fingers, they want to make sure that they are the ones where the fingers, fingers point to and so that they can mitigate that. And not that they have to say, well... Uh, we didn't mess up, our partner messed up. So it's all about accountability. At T-Mobile, I think it's all up in the air, right? T-Mobile is busy building out. And, you know, when you listen to Neville Ray, you know, he wants one throat to choke until he has built out. And when he has done that, when, when he has caught that ball that's right now in the air, I think he will throw, throw up the next ball in the air. And, and deliver a good experience, right? But Dish has to throw a lot of balls in the air and they really have to disrupt the market, not only with technical disruption, but also with market disruption. Because if Dish offers the same thing that I can get from, uh, you name it in this industry, whoop-de-doo, right? If they offer it at a lower price, well, I always say like, Competing on price is like competing for idiots. You don't need you don't need a bachelor's degree to know that if you charge less for 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 something, that more people might buy it, right? On the other hand, you know, Stella Artois, the the, the beer brand, had had for a long time the the tagline reassuringly expensive. You can be too cheap, right? And so Dish has to find that sweet spot where. They charge enough to be uh, sending the signal that this is a quality product and low enough that it makes people to switch. Well, there's also the marketing part of the equation. I mean, the, the yeah. wireless industry is littered with small MVNOs that have been unable to break out, right? And I think part of that is because you really have to spend huge amounts of money to match the messaging that's coming out of the big carriers in terms of their prices and promotions. Right. Yes. And, you know, typically MVNOs have, I always say MVNOs have a great business model if you don't want to be successful in wireless. Right. It, it is a, a low fixed cost, high variable cost business, which makes sense if you don't have a lot of customers. The moment you have a lot of customers, you want to have a 
high fixed cost, low variable cost model. And so that that doesn't help. And you know, you look at, at Mint Mobile with millions of dollars of from uh, Ryan Reynolds and, and star power there. Are they growing? Yes, but they're not growing like MNO speed, right? They're not carrying uh, growing carrier speed. They're not even growing cable wireless speed. So it's a tough model, right? You're very successful in a niche. And the moment you go wide, you have a really... Well, I mean, the one, the one thing that Dish does have in this scenario, theoretically, if, if, if what they've kind of plan turns out from a cost perspective is that the cost to operate the network and build it out should be a lot lower than a traditional wireless network, correct? Yes. And a lot of people talk about, oh, isn't it wonderful they can cross-sell to their DISH satellite customer base? Well, that's not really the case because the easiest place to build out a wireless network are urban areas, right? Right. This satellite network customer base is in rural America. You take, you get satellite because cable doesn't reach you. Or you hate cable, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Or those are the two options. But there are a lot of more dish and, for that matter, direct TV customers that are in rural America. They're, they're way over indexed there. And that doesn't make it easier for dishes. Yeah, I mean, I think I would say there are dish customers everywhere and direct TV customers everywhere. But if you live in an area that is not served by cable, then you oftentimes can get dish and so there's or, or direct TV, right? So there's more of an inflection towards more rural areas. And on the flip side, if you're living in a dense urban area, you may not be able to put a satellite dish on the side of your apartment complex, right? Yeah, so, because you have need direct line of sight to, to the south, right? Right. Right. So definitely when, I, when I've looked at the DISH and the DirecTV user bases in the past, you, you see uh, much more rural emphasis in terms of the customer base than you would with a lot of other products. So, yeah. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, I think that's all we have time for this week. Thanks, Roger. Thank you. Thank you.